0: Lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, uh, guys! It really is a privilege uh, to be here today. Um, that what that video was going to show, which we'll try to work on it and make sure that it's ready for next week, is is a glimpse into the life of church plants happening all over the world in over seventy different countries, and many of them looking similar to this. In that the 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 when you look around, there's diversity. There's reconciled people who do not look like each other. And it's powerful. It's a powerful picture of what the church can be. Sometimes people are scared of that. Maybe if you grew up going to church. You know, you're used to church being a certain way. And we're going to be talking about fear over the next several weeks. But before we do it, before we jump into the church, and before we talk about what your life can look like, I want to talk about a church. I don't even, I forget the name of it, but I was so impressed by what they did over Easter. I don't know if any of you read about a church in Texas. It, I'm, it had to have been a big church, but they took $10 million. This is a, this is, I well, you know, this has been a dream of mine to do as a church. We're not there. We don't have $10 million, although somebody here could make that happen today. if It's your lucky day. They took $10 million, and they wiped out the debt of over 4,000 people in their community. People didn't go to their church, most specifically people who had medical bills. They found them, they sought them out, and they purchased all of their medical debt. As a way of saying Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. And we're just going to pay a little bit for you right here, right now. And over 4,000 families had all of their medical debt wiped off the face of the planet. Now, let me tell you, I mean, is anybody of you have debt? right? You don't even have to shake. I mean, pretty much everybody does. Something. You're, you're, you're feeling the weight of a house. You're feeling the weight of a car. You're feeling the weight of something. It's amazing though, isn't it? What, what can happen when, when people are of a sound purpose moving together. But here's what I want to get at. At some point, somebody had to face probably a, a, a fearful moment of, God, can we really give away $10 million. There are a lot of things we could do with $10 million. Think of the pay raises we could get. Think of the kids department. Think of the equipment. Think of the worship team. Oh, my. But at some point, there is a, 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 a facing of a lion, a tiger, or a bear for the sake of doing what you know is right. And so we're here, we're not talking about giving away $10 million today, specifically as our church, but every single one of us, whether it's at your company, whether it's at your place of work, whether it's within your marriage, with your children, on your university campus, I promise you, everyone has a moment. Everyone has a thing that they're a bit scared of. We don't like to talk about fear. Or we'll talk about pride, and we'll almost wear it, almost like a badge of honor, you know, or, or like, yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of stubborn, or I'm kind of, you know, I'm a Christian, but I cuss a little bit, you know, and we, we kind of have pet sins, right, that we're kind of okay acknowledging before one another, but no one ever wants to acknowledge that I'm afraid. You don't want to do it as an adult. Somehow that is something only relegated to children. But I promise you, if we are honest with ourselves this morning, if you're honest with the person sitting next to you, when you get up and you leave and you go to La Bamba for some Mexican after church today or wherever you go to get your grub on, here's a question for you to wrestle with. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? It can't be spiders, even though I am also scared of spiders. (laughs) I I hate spiders. I'm not really scared of them, but, you know, if I can avoid them, I will. But I promise you, if we really get to the heart of our lives, every single one of us has something, a skeleton in the closet, you know, the creaky door at night, that we just don't want to acknowledge. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into the text this morning. Father, thank you for the ability to come together in a school and worship you. We're thankful for a growing church. Lord, we're thankful for for churches that are ahead of us. God, that give us courage for what can be done in a community. Most of all, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who did not, who desired to do something other than go to the cross and die. Lord, but was willing to face fear and walk to the cross and die for our sins. Lord, we are thankful today. And because of that, we can stare fear in the face today. Knowing that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, did the exact same thing. Give us courage today, Lord. Amen. What are people afraid of? What are you afraid of? What are your lions, your tigers, and your bears? Oh, my. If you're unfamiliar with the catchphrase here, it's from the legendary movie The Wizard of Oz and Dorothy is walking down the yellow brick road and she's got the Tin Man on one side and she's got the Scarecrow on the other and they're walking through the woods and the woods is getting, it's getting a little bit darker. And they're concerned that they might run into something and, and then the, you know, the lion does his, 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 his moment. Or he growls and he snarls. But this is such a picture of the enemy. Because he might look tough on the outside. But really? When the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, it's nothing but a a big cowardly lion. Big pushover. You know, if I were king before, you know, you know how it goes if you've ever seen it. I'm here all day, guys. What are your lions? People are afraid of not having enough. How many of you have laid awake at night wondering how you were going to pay a bill? Wondering how you were going to afford an apartment or a house? Or you finally, you were so excited to buy a house and then you signed it and then you're like, my God, how am I going to do this? I've done that. I literally panicked. (laughs) You get afraid. A car payment. Are you afraid of, of not being able to have a child? Are you afraid of not having significance, of not being remembered? How many of you are afraid of a marriage that they're, they're concerned at night, what really keeps them awake is not knowing if their marriage is going to make it? Does my spouse still desire me? Is my business going to survive? What does tomorrow hold for me? I don't know. It's the unknown. And so because I don't know, I'm scared. I'm fearful. I have great news today. While there are things that that are clawing and barking for our attention to be afraid, I promise you that is not Jesus' intent for you or for me. And I'm thankful that as we get into the scriptures today, there's good news for you and me on facing fear. I'm going to do an overview of it today and a text that's going to wrap the whole series. But each subsequent week, we're going to talk specifically about unique things that we as a culture and as a people find ourselves afraid of. Close your eyes for a second. Can you imagine a life lived and shaped Not from fear, but rather faith. What would your life look like? Imagine it right now. What would your life look like completely untethered from fear and to know nothing but the freedom of faith? Can you imagine a life without fear? Jesus can. can. Open your eyes. As I'm preaching today, I want you to, I want this, that question to haunt you today. What would my life look like untouched by fear? Turn to the book of Mark. Actually, Matthew first. Matthew chapter 8, 23 through 27. Jesus has been preaching and he's been teaching and he's been ministering to the crowds, the thousands of people. And sometimes one of the things that, that he would have to do is he, would, he literally would have to get out in a boat and preach from a boat. And be, be, he'd have to pull away because there's so many people around him. The only way he could get a little bit of distance and kind of create a false stage, so to speak, is to get out in a boat and teach and preach from there. And so this is where we find ourselves. Uh, Jesus has finished teaching, and he's finished preaching and, and, and sharing the news of the kingdom, and the disciples get into a boat and they set sail over the, out of the sea. And it says he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Classy Jesus. Jesus is sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I want to start off by just telling you some truth that we don't like to be reminded of and that sometimes you don't always hear if you're watching things on TV, if you're watching, you know, let me back off that statement because it's going to sound like I'm poking at other churches or things like that, and that's not my intent. But I want you to hear this, that if you follow Jesus, you're going to face some furious storms in your life. And when you hear a gospel that somehow, if you follow Jesus, you're exempt from difficulty or suffering or pain, I promise you, you're not hearing a true gospel. Because Jesus doesn't ever, he never promises us that. In fact, his closest disciples are on the boat. If there's anybody who, who should be, get a free pass, right? Shouldn't it be these guys? They've been working all day. They're probably serving. They're, they're doing kids' church. They're, they're opening the doors. You know, they've got the name tags on. They're setting things up. They've got crowds of thousands that they're helping facilitate. And then they get into a boat thinking, oh, breath of fresh air. Let's get out into the open seas. And the Bible tells us that suddenly a furious storm comes upon them. And what is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is tired. He's been working. He literally has climbed down into the recesses of the boat. If you know much about the fishing boats at the time, there was a little bit of a lower level that you could climb into. Jesus is asleep, snoozing. Now, I know myself. I would have been so mad at Jesus. (laughs) I hate to admit that, but I know myself well enough. I would have been so frustrated that Jesus had allowed me His most faithful servant to drift into waters that became a furious storm. I love how Matthew writes about the event couple things about the Greek here. that you, Many of you, if you have grew up going to church, you've maybe heard this story before. If, you've, if you haven't been to church much, welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. But I'm going to bring you up to speed on this story because there are some facts that many of us have missed. And I love, I love how Matthew writes it. Matthew is a detail guy. His job before following Jesus was that he was a tax collector. He was a numbers guy. He is collecting taxes, he is crossing the T's, and he is dotting the I's. So when Matthew writes of an event, he writes with great detail. And when he chooses a word, he does not just casually or flippantly choose that word. He is measuring this story like an accountant. A man of great detail, a man who would not be missing. He knows what it's like to miss a number. For the decimal to be in the wrong place. Or the comma to be at the wrong location. And he says that a furious storm suddenly, love that word, came upon them. But isn't that how fear works in your life and mine? Isn't it sudden? Isn't it somehow? Don't, don't you, don't, aren't you just bopping along one day? And then all of the sudden it's, it's the, the, what is that? That feels like a lump. And like that with fear your marriage is going great and then in one moment you have a conversation and the whole thing feels like it just got turned upside down and you're afraid your child that you you finally had a grip on just rears and blows a gasket and turns into a monster that you couldn't think possible And instantly you're afraid of losing your daughter, your son. Oh, you and I of little faith, why are we so afraid? See, the storms come upon us, and they come upon us suddenly. And Satan, he's been doing this a long time. He's crafty. He's a wise serpent. I hate to say that as well, but he is. He, he knows what he's doing. He's been in the game a long time, and it never fails that when you're at your most tired, when you're at your most fatigued, when you're at your most cranky, when you're at the most vulnerable spot, the sudden storm comes upon you. But that's not the only unique choice of word that Matt, words Matthew chooses. He uses this word, furious. It was a furious storm. He doesn't choose the word squalor. He doesn't say a hurricane. He doesn't say a thunderstorm or a rainstorm. He uses this word in the Greek called seismos. And it's only used three other times by Matthew. You might be familiar with the word seismos because we still use it today when we talk about a seismologist or a seismograph, which measure earthquakes. And so here is Matthew, the accountant, who is describing and recalling the event of this storm. It came upon them with a sudden fury, and it was a seismos. And he only uses this word in two other locations. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, an earthquake ruptured the temple, and he uses the word seismos. And when Jesus rose from the grave, an earthquake trembled the tomb. And those who were guarding the tomb, the Bible says they quaked with fear because there was a most. And so here we have Matthew on the third occasion, not in that order, But he talks about a seismos when Jesus died on the cross for our sin. When he defeated death at the grave. And he uses it again when Jesus silenced fear on the sea. And I want you to catch the significance of this. I'm not suggesting that this story is as prolific and significant as Jesus dying on the cross for your sins or him rising from the grave. But understand that the words that he's using to describe this event are in parallel form. This is a prolific moment. And when the disciples say to themselves, who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey Him. This is a massively significant moment. Don't miss it. Because if you're like me, you might need fear to be silenced in your life. I do. In fact, you know what? I'm going to read the the text for you. I want you to see it. Matthew 27, 51 through 54. It says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. This is Matthew 27, 51 through 54. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. See, an earthquake ripped through at the cross. And then in Matthew 28 too, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and he sat on it. When Jesus defeated sin on the cross, when he defeated death in the tomb, and when Jesus defeated fear on the water, he uses the same language. I promise you, if you haven't experienced a seismos moment in your life, an earthquake, you will at some point. And there's going to come a moment where you have to stare down fear and cling to Jesus and it may feel like Jesus is sleeping on the job but what he's really trying to get you to do is he's drawing you to a place of true faith let's keep going Debated whether to share this story today or not, but I'll share it. Um, when I was growing up in St. Louis, I had the I had the benefit of growing up in a great church. And outside of my parents and some great, amazing Christian friends, there was probably nobody who had a greater influence on my life than my youth minister and his wife. Their names are Chris. And Vicky Dell. And I still, when I get together with some of my buddies, if I ever see them, in fact, I've got a chance to see one of the guys I grew up with in St. Louis tomorrow for lunch. And when we get together, we'll be able to talk and laugh about, you know, old times. But one of the things that we'll, I guarantee what we'll talk about is our time growing up in our old church And for me, I had, this, I had this relationship with my youth minister that was great, and they, they brought me into their home with the teens, and we would have Bible studies, and we were always eating food together. And, and my parents and Chris and Vicky, Dell, they were, they were good friends, and everybody in, in this mix knew how to talk some trash, so there was always a little competition going. And there was, a, you know, the midnight runs to Steak and Shake when Steak and Shake was the rage. And then there was, you know, the teepee parties, or you would go and roll somebody's house at midnight. If you don't know what rolling somebody's house is, you haven't lived. Okay? It's when you get some toilet paper, and you just dominate somebody's house in the middle of the night, and they walk out the next morning, and they're like, what just happened? It's great. Now, if you come to my house now, because I just said this, and you TP it, you're going to pay. I'm going to get you back. But well, you could see the kind of relationship that we had. And I was watching videos on Vimeo, Vimeo, literally yesterday, of my youth minister's wife, Vicky, Because I'll never forget the moment when she was diagnosed with cancer. And my church was not the kind of church that had prayer meetings. We didn't do prayer meetings much. I, I don't have really much memory of that, but I remember a prayer meeting where people from the church gathered around and they laid hands on Vicky and they prayed for her. And I'll never forget people crying out to God with tears in their eyes asking for God to heal and asking for God to spare because this was a furious storm. And I remember Vicki praying, and I watched her share it on this video on Vimeo yesterday, and she prayed for God to give her five more years. That's so what she prayed, so that she could get her house in order before she met her king. The elders of our church anointed her with oil and Her cancer went into remission. And as she was battling the cancer, she was interviewed about her journey, and I quote, this is what she said, I was very scared. It felt like I was falling and falling and would never stop. But at the same time, I was determined to be faithful. That in the moment Where fear could and should be gripping her to be fearful, what she was determined to become was faithful. convicts me. Brought me to tears watching this video yesterday. See, what we need to be reminded of is that it's not the absence of storms that sets you and I apart from other people in this world. It's who you hold on to in the midst of storms that sets you and I apart. I'm going to say that again because it's really important because if you're not in a storm right now, I promise you that some some storm is coming. You will experience a storm, a seismos of, of such furious nature that you're tempted to give up, that you're tempted to quit. The lion, the tiger, the bear to to get you off the yellow brick road. But you have a choice. There's always a choice. I'm not saying that you should never feel fear. I don't believe that when Jesus rebuked the disciples, he was somehow busting their chops because they had a moment of fear. If you're sitting on a boat and all of a sudden... Winds of an intense nature come upon you and rain and water slapping over the side. You would be reckless to not have a measure of concern, right? You'd be a fool. But there comes a point in everyone's life where you have to decide whether I'm going to live full of fear or whether I'm going to live full of faith. See, there comes a, a moment where you have to choose to trust Jesus who is in the boat with you, or whether you're going to still continue to live a life of fear and panic. It's not always easy to do, folks. Mark tells it like this Mark 4 38. He says, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Same story. But he adds a couple different details. He's sleeping on a cushion. <laughs> the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned?" And this is what fear does. Fear turns us into character assassins, doesn't it? When you're afraid, when you're alarmed, and you're, you're feeling up against the wall, you're cornered, Now, the God that has shown you nothing but mercy and kindness and goodness, don't you even care? Don't you give a flying rip about me, God? God, what is your problem? Don't you care? And fear would lead us along this rabbit trail that would have us doubt the very character of God. That's what fear does. And now the response from you and I is to somehow take matters into our own hands. And what was designed for God to be in control of, we are now taking back and putting on our plate. And now we become the God and orchestrator of our very lives. That's what fear does. Fear is deceptive. That's why Satan is called the what? The father of lies. He lies to you. I was talking with somebody this past week, and you, you might have heard this if you if you Google it and look for images, it'll pop right up. But I love this acronym for fear. I'm going to begin to land the plane on the message here as I've set the stage, hopefully, for the subsequent weeks coming up. But fear is, is this. It's false evidence appearing real. Fear is false evidence appearing real. And if there's ever a moment where where, where fear does a number on you, it's that God, Jesus is sleeping. And so, you know... The, I'm adding the numbers here, the storm is coming, it must be that he doesn't care. But you've got facts here that aren't working for you. You've got false evidence, and it's making an appearance of this, but it's not true. And that's what fear does to you. It presents a picture that is not accurate. But what do the scriptures call us to do? It says that we live by faith and not by faith sight. We do not live by what our eyes tell us. We live by what we know to be true in the word of God. And I know that God is good and I know that he is faithful and I know that he is righteous and that he is merciful and that his plans even though I do not fully understand them are greater than anything I can ever put together on my best day. It's hard to reconcile when you're in a difficult moment, when you're experiencing pain, when you don't know what to do. But this is where we get to cling to Jesus. It's not that your life is free of storms. It's that you know who to run to and cling to in the middle of your storm. That's Jesus. I'll share this with you. My youth minister's wife, she prayed for 5 more years. She was anointed with oil. And her cancer went away. And 5 years later it returned and she passed away. And the video that I watched of her was in some of her final moments. and this is what she said she says and i quote i feel honored to be able to love him more depend on him more and put all of my needs in his hands she knew that her end was coming to she knew that her end was coming And what she chose to do and how she chose to live her life, even in the midst of of what for many of us would have seemed like the storm never went away. But for her, she found peace in the middle of it. And she was able to thank God and praise God that she could love him more that she could need him more, and that she could depend on him more. And while it is rare that I would ever give, you know, props to fear in your life, I will say if there's anything that is helpful about fear in your life, it's this. is that it identifies where you are not trusting God, and it identifies where you need to grow in greater dependence on him. God, there's a huge storm happening right now. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. God, I don't know. My, my body isn't, isn't feeling quite right. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening in this relationship. I, I don't know, God, how to deal with this. It's too heavy. It's too big. It's too difficult. And I'm afraid. believe what God is doing in our church today and in the weeks to come is not rebuking you and I for having a moment of being afraid but helping you see the power and the strength and the greatness and the goodness of who Jesus is who's in the boat with you and moving you from being fearful to faithful, being full of faith, full of expectancy, full of trust. How do you trust God when there's a storm brewing? Sometimes, You shut your eyes and you stop living by what you see and you hold on to what you know is true. Jesus, this is what I know about you. Jesus. Who's sleeping in the boat and yet the disciples had seen him heal. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him do miracle after miracle. Literally from something as small as a fever to, to somebody who was dying being healed or possessed, having an evil spirit driven out of them. He'd, they'd seen him move time and time and time and time again. Yet this is how fear works. It blinds you. It's like you have spiritual amnesia and you can't cannot remember how God had just been faithful in your life the day prior, but God would have us open our eyes not to look at our storm around us, but to see the beauty of who he is, the power and strength and the goodness and the might of the God that we serve. What are you afraid of today? To give it to Jesus today. What's keeping you awake at night? We get to give it to Jesus today. What's causing strain, stress, and anxiety? You get to give it to Jesus today. Who is this man? Who, with a word, can silence the wind and the waves? Is Jesus son of the living god victorious over sin victorious over death and victorious over fear father we thank you right now for your son jesus who reminds us that when the winds come and the waves crash against the boat that we do not have to stay living in fear, but we can have a life of faith, a life that trusts him, God. What is it that we're afraid of today? Help us, Lord. God, help us to identify where we're not trusting you. God, help us to to see where we've we've wandered, where we've taken things into our own hands. God, help us to see where we've panicked and we're just not trusting you, Lord. God, this morning we come to you and we're asking that you would help us today. If you're sitting here this morning and you know there are, just, there are things in your life that you've got to give to God that you, you've just been hanging on to, things that you're afraid for, things that you've been fearful of, So I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet right now. We're going to pray this together. Don't be afraid. Stand up where you are. Sometimes what you need to do is you need to declare what you know to be true. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you're Lord, Jesus. I thank you that you're king. I thank you, you're the king of my life. There's no storm you can't handle, there's no wind too great. This morning, I give you my life afresh. I hand my fears over to you. And I choose to have faith. Faith in your goodness, faith in your greatness, faith in your mercy. I have hope in you today, Jesus. You are alive, and you are the true king of my life. It is in your name I pray, amen. I know some of you are still wrestling with some things, and it I don't want you to think for a second that somehow confessing what we know to be true is a magic bullet. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that you've got to live by faith and not by what you see. And that means sometimes you, you need to just remind yourself what you know to be true. There are things that I get scared of. I had a father who died at 51 and you need to know that at 37, there's rarely a day that goes by where I do not think for a second or have a moment of of fear, a a, a moment that I have to guard that I'm going to die just like my dad. And I have to confess the word. And you will see me if you come over to my home. Sometimes I am marching around my living room. God, I thank you that you have called me to preach the gospel. Lord, that I am not, I'm destined. I have something inside of me to do. I'm not going to die until you say it's time. And I remind myself what I know is true about God. God, you are good. You are great. You are merciful. It doesn't mean that there isn't hardship. But if I'm going to face hardship, I at least need to know who God is in the midst of that storm. Church, this is what we're going to be hitting on the next couple weeks. You're not going to want to miss it. We've got a guest speaker coming in. A guy who's going to be planning a church in Birmingham. He's going to be planting another High Point church. It's a very unique situation that we have set up. But long story short, I'm just I, me and another pastor are helping coach and mentor this young man, and he's going to be going to Birmingham. And he's going he's going to preach here. And he's preaching on fear of the unknown. <laughs> There's nobody who's going to be able to preach better on it. It's going to be a great series, guys, as we tackle lions.